Live from Gloom, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hello, folks. It's a little um, it's a little simple here, primitive. I thought you were going to say it's a little gloomy. You think it's it, a little gloomy and gloom? Uh, not too gloomy. It looks like it hasn't rained for a while. That's true. All the crops are kind of dried up, and yeah. um, but you know, it's a nice kind of simple peasant town here. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as we are, don't stand out too much, uh, just yeah, kinda, I don't think they'll take well to foreigners. No, or anything that's too out of the ordinary. No, probably not. But otherwise, the people here seem you know decent, normal, normal nice. enough. Yeah. Peasant, yeah. Um, we're dressed up in rags, so I think that will help us. Not yeah, stand help us out. a lot. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, welcome back to uh, Derailed Trains of Thought. This is episode 76. My name is Timothy Deal. I am Nick Hayden. And I should welcome Nick back. Um, you've been traveling. I mean, I guess we travel a lot recently, but you... Uh, I was, yeah, between podcasts, I was also traveling. Yeah, you're a very busy... Yeah, uh, uh, as we record this, I had just returned from a little over two weeks in Brazil. Ooh. And Labria is the name of the town. Labria, okay. My uh, parents-in-law are missionaries down there, and we hadn't visited them for... Many moons. Many moons. Well, the kids had never been down in Brazil, and so we'd been yeah. planning for a number of years, like, when you get down there, and, and so we finally did it. Yeah. And it was good. So cool. Um, yeah, my, you, you uh, don't my, look that much more tan. No. No. Well, you take all the sun when you need to, because it's hot. Oh, okay. Even during the rainy season, apparently. Uh, when it's rain, right after rain, it feels awesome, or right before rain. But then the next day, it's very humid. Ah, okay. So... And um, but this is your your third time there. My third time, first time to this to Labria. They, oh, okay. Manaus is where they used to work, okay. which is a much bigger city. I kind of like the smaller city. There were like, I mean, honestly, motorcycles and bicycles outnumber cars like ten to one. <laughs> like everyone just bikes around. Wow. Yeah. From being from a uh, working at a motorcycle shop, you probably did feel. Right oh, Honda's a bit. Yeah, Honda's a big deal down there. I mean, oh, okay. I mean, not a big deal, but that's where people buy motorcycles for transportation. In America, they buy them for fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and lots of bugs, mosquitoes. Really? Volkswagen beetles? There are a lot of those? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. No, like my, my son is very allergic to, not allergic, but he, he does, bugs like him, and they swell, and he, and he oh. likes to um, scratch them. But uh, at one point, he counted <laughs> 133 bug bites. Wow. So, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, he got them pretty bad. Oh, man. <laughs> but it was like a badge of honor. He's like, count them. So let's see how many I have. <laughs> Yeah, so. that, that's a lot of fun when you're six. Yeah, so. Or seven? Seven. Seven now. So, yeah. Okay. Anyways, All right. we're here in Glom. We're here in Glom, yeah. which I feel like mosquitoes would be bad. Bugs might be bad. But if, there's no rain. But there's no rain. Well, at least it looks like no rain. Maybe this is how it always is. But and Possibly. I mean, there was a big parade earlier uh, out of town, so maybe that's... I mean, it was kind of weird. It was the person kinda, all like painted up like Amidala or something. It was, was kind of creepy. Yeah. yeah. But anyway... Let's dig into our podcast. Let's begin Story School. So for Story School today, we're going to talk about a subject that is near and dear to the hearts of some of the creators that have most influenced us. Yes. And that subject is myth. Myth. I guess the first thing we need to do, Tim, is kind of give our own definition. Now, obviously, like if we go to Tolkien, knew enough of him, he'd probably have a very distinct definition. Mm-hmm. Or Lewis might have a distinct definition, or whoever else we might, you know, Sardinsky, who knows. 
Um, oh, J. Michael, he might. Oh, Straczynski. Yeah. I was thinking you were talking about some Russian author. That well, oh, right. well, he's a Russian author. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in his own way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, so I was trying to think of what's a good way to define it. Because myth is a lot. It has a very broad term nowadays. Like, people are like, hey, Percy Jackson is myth. Well, it's not really. It's playing with mythic characters. Yeah. But it's just it's just kind of an adventure story. Yeah, and, and where what's the difference now between myth and fairy tales? And what's the difference between fairy tales and fantasy? And there's all kinds of levels So, now. So I think here's my, my working definition, and we maybe can um, tweak it, is that myth is largely dealing with the interaction between God and men and how the world works. Oh, okay. So you're going to go very specifically with gods and men and sort because of thing, it, not necessarily about fairies and nymphs and... And I, 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 I guess you creatures. go, how about this? Supernatural, the supernatural element interacting with man. Okay. Because, I mean, that's really what they are. I mean, all, the Greek myths and Norse myths is basically how the supernatural elements, the gods and the giants and the fairies and the nymphs interact with the natural world. Okay, and I can a, see that. And you get a sense that myths came about because I read the interesting thing. I haven't seen it, but Planet Earth Two. Have you? No. You know the BBC thing, but interesting from a Christian point of view commentary that it's just a beautiful documentary apparently, uh-huh. and they're always talking about that the narrators, whatever the writers, always come off like they're just amazed with all this stuff, but they can't they can't thank anyone for it. You know, they're always mm. like, and somehow the frogs adapted to that. You know that there's always it's like, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, they need to explain it somehow, but they have no language for it, mm. except science. Or like self-will or self-will, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or self-will, yeah. Like, almost like nature itself is a... Is a god. Is a force. I mean, that's kind of where the whole Mother Nature term Gaia, came from. you know, the, yeah. yeah. And so, you get the sense that myth is really the same thing, but with people who had not already ruled God out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, you know, it's like, all this stuff happens, and... I read this Melville, her Melville quote about, I wish I could remember it, but about just sensing that there's just these forces behind everything. I think in his case, it was uh, more like malevolent for, you know, just, yeah, see, there's just, you get the sense when you're out in nature, you're out, that there's just, there's something beyond, something out, you know, I think, I think myth rise out of that. We need to explain the world outside of just man. There's yeah. something else. Right. And it is interesting that nature evokes that so strongly. Um, I was re-watching this old Ten Commandments cartoon that I had seen as a kid, and when they do their song about um, the first commandment, uh, Only One God, yeah. it's very serene, and it's basically just the character's kind of landscapes and nature and stuff like that. And it, it is very telling, I think, that we sort of have to get outside of civilization, man's mm-hmm. civilization, to kind of encounter God in nature, which is, I guess, a little off topic, but... But so that's why I guess I define myth as man interacting with the supernatural elements of the world. Mm-hmm. And then from that, you get the heroic quests where we got basically like the, the godlike men, <laughs> the, <laughs> You're the Hercules, the, the demigods. demigods. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you finally you get down to fairy tale where it's basically almost more like rural versions of myth. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like your household gods, you know? Okay. Or your, if not gods, well, I mean, I guess if we're doing gods, plural, we're speaking lowercase g, but I guess it's almost, you're getting more on the level of supernatural beings, like your angels or demons, just kind of a, you know, the fairy. Your brownies and your fairies and your, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, I just now thought of this, mythically, you don't get a lot of, you don't get a lot of new myth anymore. I mean... 
it's hard to yeah, not in those terms exactly. I mean, sometimes comic books will get near it. And Miyazaki. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. like Spirit Away is, is almost mythology. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Princess Mononoke is. I mean, <laughs> or, or it's, in some ways it's, well, okay, yeah, definitely Princess Mononoke, I'd say, would be in the realm of mythology. Spirit Away, I think, would probably be a little closer to fairy tale. Yeah. You've got the kind of the Alice. I mean, I guess they they talk about a lot about spirits and well, it's uh, like the river spirit. Well, the Spirit Away is a very... Um, is a conglomeration of lots of different things. Well, (laughs) this is true. This is true. But no, the modern myth, I mean, these terms can be kind of interchangeable. Yeah, these are our definitions. Yeah, Yeah. for our purposes, it it helps to kind of narrow it down the the stuff. You know, like most of the time, story, well, I was going to say most stories that would eventually show up in Once Upon a Time are not necessarily myth, but we have had Hercules and Hades show up. Well, I guess here's the thing. I mean, people like, in, in modern um storytelling myths are normally used as fodder for new stories yeah but the true. new stories they tell are very rarely pure myth anymore they like take the characters and the elements but they tend to explain things away to a certain extent like some of the one like a lot of myths have wonder in them like they don't mm-hmm. explain everything things just happen okay no, okay. I, I'm gonna. The, I, w- I want to go. A, one of go. our inspirations for this topic was we recently read the C.S. Lewis book "Till We Have Faces," which is a fabulous book. It is. A, it is a fabulous book. But I would almost argue that that actually is a case where Lewis is basing it off a myth, but he calls it a myth retold. And in yeah. some ways, he is sort of bringing a modern context to it. Because the interesting thing about Till We Have Faces is that it's, it's a kind of a different take on story the of, story of Cupid and Psyche. Yeah. But it deals up more with one of Psyche's sisters. Yes. Stepsisters. And honestly, because it's told entirely from the stepsister, Oral's perspective, I think in a way it feels very modern. And I mean, it has a lot of mythic trappings yeah. in it because it's Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the, the way that oral works as a unreliable narrator yeah. feels very modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it has a lot of insights. It has a lot of insights into human nature, which is not to say that myths don't, but I don't know. It, it felt like different to me. It felt like we were inside her head so much in a way that traditional myths would not be. Yeah. It was, it's interesting though, because it's a... You're right, it has a tribe of myth, and it's told from a non-mythic point of view, but if, at least to me, felt very, it has sort of that sort of sense of, you're showing the edges of what you can understand. That's like, true. It, it's almost like a myth told by a skeptic. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, that, I mean, I, which I mean, is very, like, very fitting for uh, Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, if you know his conversion story. I mean, it's like we took a modern person mm-hmm. and put him inside a, a world where myth is real. Yeah. Because some of the some of the descriptions of so Psyche marries this god, mm-hmm. and the, the encounters with the god is are very well you know very interestingly told, and the palace she lives in, you don't see. I mean, it's Oral never sees it. it. It's and, an invisible palace, and you're not sure whether it's actually is there or if if it's not. And I mean, I think there's a thread if you know Lewis. Most likely, you know, Oral's kind of unreliable. She's hiding a lot of her own jealousy from even herself. Yes. And it's very interesting to read, I read it the second time, that you know that's there, and you can see it, but 
she self-justifies herself so well. Yeah. I mean, it's very tricky. Yeah. It, it reminded me in, in a lot of ways of your character, actually. <laughs> For, uh, Kalia, yeah. there's a lot of this in uh, Children of the Wells, not necessarily about out of jealousy, but this sort of lying to herself, herself. And, and having such a strong facade that she can't see past her own fakeness. <laughs> so sometimes. So we brought up, we wouldn't talk about myth because it's a, it's a, it's a subgenre that people are always fascinated with. People, writers love to go back to these myths and read them and then do something new with them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're elastic because they are, there are always elements of it that you're like, well, what does this mean? And you can do different things. With, I think that what Lewis did, you know, he read this story and like, well, why, why wouldn't she see, he sees her face as he, you know, there's, Mm-hmm. There's motivational questions. I have a book I stole um, from the bakery. We, um, I don't know. Have we talked about the bakery here on the podcast? I think so. Anyways, it's not ours anymore. We sold it. Um, but, but it also had a book shop. A, yeah, like used books and stuff. And I stole a number of books, mm-hmm. which will probably be on my book club list next month or next <laughs> time. But one of them was called Grendel. And it's told from Grendel's point of view, okay. from Beowulf. And so people like to do that sort of, you know, Once Upon a Time does the same thing with fairy tales and mm. Disney things. Right. Or um, Fables, the comic, the graphic okay. novel series. Yeah. That was a much more gritty, noir version of and lot, fairy tales. A lot of those are like, yeah, Grimm's fairy tales that they're adapting. Yeah. So there's this fascination with these stories because by the time they get to us, in some ways, they're just kind of timeless. They're kind of, they have, they have, they have these nuggets of, Truth that are hard to explain properly. The funny thing, though, is I feel these days most myths, well, they're pulled by the, some of these modern day storytellers. So apparently they are studying them. But I feel like, in the broad sense, they're really not that. Like people like pulling, learning about them through like kind of these modern lenses. But it's very hard. Like I wouldn't have known the story of. Cuban and Psyche, if it wasn't yeah, for C.S. Yeah, Lewis. it's not easy to read them anymore. I have a collection of, um, you can't see me holding it up, of these nice uh, leather-bound myth books. This is the Celtic Myths and Legends. Oh, nice. I have uh, Greek and Norse and Chinese and Native American. I haven't read them all. I read a couple wow. of them. but That's quite a collection. They're, they're pretty nice. I got for some, but there's a story I just wanted kind of to explain this sort of things that aren't explained. Uh-huh. There's this one there's a story in Celtic myths called the Voyage of Maldun. I'll butcher these names. <laughs> it's not quite myth at this point. It's been semi-christianized, you okay. know, there's and it's not the god, it's just this guy going on basically a, a voyage to different islands as a it's like a revenge story. Okay. Um, but he there's all these islands, the island of the shouting bird, the island of the anchorite, the island of the miraculous fountain. Isle of gold? Not that. But this is this was one of the inspirations for that. Okay. Um one of Nick's uh, novellas. You should read. It's very good. Or like this, The Island of the Pedestal. And I think these are summarized from the originals. Okay. But the next island stood on a foot or pedestal, which rose from the sea, and they could find no way of access to it. In the base of the pedestal was a door, closed and locked, which they could not open, so they sailed away, having seen and spoken to with no one. That's just kind of cool. <laughs> you just, you're, they're yeah. going from island to island. This is like their 15th island. They get to it. There's this door. They can't get it. I mean, how frustrating is that? You know, <laughs> there's a door they can't even reach. I mean, that's like a that's like a J.J. Abrams like whole TV show right there. Mystery box. Mystery yeah. box. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. Or like, um, where's the one about the prophecy? The Isle of Prophecy. Okay. When they arrived here, they found the water rising high cliffs round the island and looking down, saw on it a crowd of people who screamed at them. It is they. It is they. Till they, ha- they were out of breath. 
Then came a woman and pelted them from below with large nuts, which they gathered and took with them. As they went, they heard the folk crying to each other, Where are they now? They are gone away. They are not. It is likely, says the tale, that there was someone concerning whom the islanders had a prophecy that he would ruin their country and expel them from their land. So they show up this place, everyone thinks they're the ones going to ruin their land and send them out and they leave. I mean, a modern person would be like, well, we got to go tell that story. Uh-huh. But they just leave it there. That's what fascinates me about myths. These like untold, they just things just happen, you know. Uh-huh. There's another one where like these apples come down, they feed them for 40 days, and there's one with giant ants, and there's one where like there's these black sheep and they're white sheep, and when you put a black sheep in the white sheep's pens that turns white and vice versa and it scares them they leave and see you're, you're touching though on something that's got me rather confused toward the end of till we have faces yeah because there's there is really some remarkably good insights into mankind's relationship with god yeah in this book but it gets rather confusing in the second part when when Oral starts having these visions, and I, I didn't know where he was going with this. And then at the very end, he explained that in the original myth, Psyche, after she does something to upset Cupid, she has to go on these trials. Yeah. And the, the trials that they described are the same sort of things that Oral had seen in visions and, and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, okay, that's where he got that. But wh- and then, like, if I was just listening to the story from, like, say, on the storyteller, yeah. who did some Greek myths, I wouldn't have thought anything about it. It's like, oh, that's just part of it. But because it was in this kind of modern re, you know, re-looking yeah. at it, if it was really confusing. That, Why that, is this in here? That is one of the weird parts, especially since there's a meaning to that somehow about like Oriel being part of Psyche's trials and helping her out somehow. And but I, I was like, but how? Yeah. Why? It, it, like it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me when I was, which was a little like disconcerting, kind of threw me off when I felt like I was tracking with him before that. Yeah, part. no, that's I think that's the roughest part. I'm not sure I have a complete answer to that that particular, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, that's that's an interesting concept because the modern mind doesn't de- doesn't doesn't deal with that sort of ambiguity. No, very well. well, it's interesting. Even when we do Alice in Wonderland movies, which isn't myth, but it's just nonsensical. All the movies try to make sense of the world. Yeah. It's always locations and king. The book's not like that. The book's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they make whole kingdoms out of it and, and, and rule. And it's interesting, but it's uh-huh. we want to explain this stuff. And that, and part of that is our culture. I mean, yeah. we, we've all learned from the Greeks, essentially. About having, <laughs> from Fox, yeah. <laughs> from, from about having uh, rules and reasons for all these things. Which is interesting when we like some anime. Anime is much more open to, to just sort of would, yeah. leaving things like that. I think even, I don't mean to bring Kingdom Hearts into a lot yeah. of things these yeah. days, but I think that is a big part of the reason that Western audiences get kind of frustrated by some of the complexities of it. Because yeah. there are certain things that I think the Japanese creators, they, they just enjoy kind of exploring ideas and may, they may not have concrete explanations for how yeah. certain things work. Like there's no there's no mythical canon. It contradicts itself. <laughs> they don't, you know, that's not the quite the point. And okay, you, you know, every once in a while I need to bring up a show called Lost. Um, uh-huh. But if they tried anything at the end, they did try to be kind of mythic with mm. the island, like yeah. kind of say, here's symbols and things and ideas, but we're not going to pin it down anywhere. Yeah. Which just do what you want with. But, <laughs> but let me ask a, a possibly contrary opinion, though. Yeah. From a Christian perspective, you know, we believe in truth yeah. in one God and that there is a certain explanation, you know, yeah. th- even if we don't know it, there's a reason behind everything. Yeah. 
do these myths that leave so much kind of unexplained, uh, you know, yeah. unaccounted for, is that, is that a wrong thing? Or? I don't know. <sighs> On one hand, it's in, I'm going to back up for a second, uh-huh. is that the myths were also there to explain things. Okay. You know, to explain the sunrise and explain the crops, to explain winter going away, you know, mm-hmm. and they explain them in terms of gods, largely. Yeah. You know, that, well, something's got to make it happen. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, in other ways, there's these sort of these corners that are, you know, you know, even the Odyssey, you know, there's just there's these lotus eaters and, you you know, it's like you never ask about where the Cyclops comes from. Yeah, just, they just are. He's just there. And I think, I again, too much of that ambiguity, I don't think it's Christian uh, or or what the majority of Christian art should be. Mm-hmm. But I do think if we can capture some of that wonder, some of that we don't need to know everything. Because that like, is, like the end of Job. Yeah, there's a lot of I, like I don't know if Job even ever finds out why he went through all that. <laughs> no, it just it just is, and I think that's why even myths are okay with it because, well, the gods are up there and we're down here, mm-hmm. and so weird things happen and we don't know why, but they do. Yeah. Um, and I think that sense in a Christian worldview can be a good thing, mm-hmm. as long as it's fostering more of a sense of wonder or dependence or something, and not just. Well, life makes no sense. Just deal with it. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's the wrong answer to take away from it. But I mean, I, I like that you brought out, though, the sometimes things happen because God has a certain way. One of the main conflicts themes until we have faces is this oral raging against the gods yeah. saying, why are your ways so inscrutable to us? You know, why don't you just explain yourself. yourself? Yeah. And just explain things when in the end she when she has this divine encounter, she realizes first off that she doesn't even know herself as well as she yeah. thinks she does, um, which is a great, and great passage. That well, I lo- and I love the scene where after that, like she does this giant rant, like where she's finally truthful. Uh-huh. And then the God's are like, are you answered? And she's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even say anything. She just heard herself for once. Yeah. That's where the title of the book comes in. Now, uh, why should the gods try to speak to us face to face when we don't even have a face yeah. t- until, until we have faces? So we actually understand who we actually are. Um, but on the other hand, too, it goes to the, the idea of when you have this divine encounter, that's an answer in and of itself. Yeah. Like when you. Oh, when man, you, that, that last paragraph, they're like, you were the answer. Yeah. You know, you, you know, just seeing you. And that's the way that God is. So if you've not read Till We Have Faces, our story school is saying, read it. Yeah. Um, yes. I, it took me a long time. Uh, Douglas Gresham, uh, C.S. Lewis's stepson, I actually got to see at while I was at Regent, mm-hmm. way back in the early days of the this podcast. Yeah. And uh, he, it was a Q&A session. Yeah. So I got to ask him uh, what he thought were some of Lewis's works that uh, he had been overlooked and people should really take a look at him. And he said, at one time, I, w- I would have said Till We Have Faces, but mm-hmm. as, as it has been getting more attention of late. But he said that is a very good book. Yeah. Um, apparently, he, he also thinks some of Lewis's poetry is worth a closer look than people do. Oh, it. interesting. So, we'll have to do that sometime. Yeah, maybe. yeah. We'll have to remember that for the book club. Well, Till We Have Faces is a very different style for Lewis. It really is. I would. I don't know if I would have guessed it was Lewis not, from from style. Yeah, especially not at first because I remember telling you it was like the beginning of it. It's pretty brutal, like <laughs> in terms of like you know guys getting castrated and women being beaten and like all kinds of like it's a very brutal period of yeah. time that he's writing in. But when he gets, when he starts getting into the like kind of talking about 
like see about gods and stuff or about or about yeah or but psyche has this this thing about having a glimpse of who she could actually yeah. be is like that feels very loose okay let, let's let's uh real quick we'll throw in the lewis idea since we're talking myths and lewis is that lewis and tolkien both basically believe that myths were basically shadowy truth mm-hmm. that they were moving towards and th- that's a big point at the end until we have faces too that um that there's truth there, but it's it's all distorted. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Yeah. Both both of Oral's uh, advisors were. In, she had a, a Greek philosopher advisor, and and there was the a religious priest. Yeah, there was a. I guess she wasn't necessarily an advisor, but that was an influence. An in influence. Her life. Yeah. yeah. And uh, neither one was quite accurate. Although they both had hints of whatever. Both had hints, and yeah. in some ways, the she thought the the religious. Priest was actually closer to the truth in yeah, some, in some ways, ways than the Greek, which is interesting because we tend to think more Greek nowadays. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's interesting. I think that maybe that's another reason we we enjoy it as source material so much that it does get to basic basic humanity in some ways, like the things that matter. Well, and there's there's something I was thinking too when you're talking about like how some of these simple stories they're almost more primal stories mm-hmm. in a way. You don't have you're not as nearly as concerned with like. The psychology of things. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, then Lewis does the psychology, but but but, but it, it kind of it hones down to the very basics of story in a I lot mean, of ways. The Odyssey, which is more adventure than pure myth, is still basically going home. I mean, that's what real it is, and then re- uh-huh. taking your land. I mean, it's still very basic. You know, mm-hmm. the Aeneid, which is later, even it's basically like, and this is how Rome was founded. You know, but it doesn't ha- deal with all the. We talk about flashbacks episode or two ago. You know, it's not about well, what happened in my childhood that changed me. It's just like mm-hmm. how people did great things, yeah. or how certain things came to be. Yeah, it's how you know how the sun came to be, how the darkness fell on Valinor, how um, we have, I have Poland Silmarillion. Oh, here. we have to talk about Tolkien if we'd been doing, covering Lewis so yeah. so much. So, yeah. well, I'll just throw in, you know, so Tolkien's the Silmarillion basically says I'm going to make my own myth for England. Basically, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, talk, you're talking about, we don't see too many new myths. I mean, that's one of the that, few examples. That's I mean, one of the few examples. Now, the, the thing is, a lot of people have taken Tolkien and really developed the more of the high fantasy type type world, where it's much more about, like, histories and cultures and races, and that's which is all good. We yeah. love that stuff, too. But it's a, in some ways, that part of it is a little different than... I mean, Silmarillion's an odd beast because it has some of those trappings of high fantasy, but because it has such a wide, big picture view mm. at the same time, it's much more mythic. I think that's another, that's a good point. That myth mythology tends to be very big picture. Mm. You no, know, it's creation. It's the loss ri- of the, empires rising and falling. It's you know the, uh, the twilight of the gods. It's the loss of the Silmarils, the darkening yeah. of Alinor. You know, it's it's going down into the Hades and bringing person back from the dead. You know, it's mm-hmm. big ideas. Yeah. of life. Yeah, so it's great fodder for. The things that really matter, and I think the goal for writers, if they use it as a source material, is to maybe not distill it so much sometimes. Hmm. I mean, because sometimes what we do nowadays, we'll go and, oh, I want to take this creature or this, the Golden Fleece, but it's like it loses all the significance. You just bring the item back. Yeah, or sometimes you'll see like, you know, Prometheus, like they'll they'll name items in their stories after these Greek things, because it... 
it has this sort this veneer at least of being deep of like harkening yeah. back to something bigger but we don't get too many of the actual we don't pay enough attention to the actual big stories these days yeah we just we use it as cliff notes yeah basically <laughs> Largely. as opposed to and a lot of people don't even know the cliff notes anymore it's hard to find good copies of these things yeah there's there's a lot of them i don't know nearly as much as i should especially having this conversation yeah like i was skimming through my norse mythology and you know odin he he gives up his eye f- for wisdom basically i think in exchange and i mean there's all kinds of there's something there's something true about that that you can't really explain. Here's what the eye means, and it's not, it's not allegory, but there's still yeah. something real about saying I gave my eye up in order to gain wisdom about the future. Mm-hmm. You know, like I gained one vision by get rid of another vision. See, you did just explain it. Okay, uh, yeah, but it sounds so much cooler as myth, and yeah, so much less yeah. cool as an al- allegory. Or when, when you sometimes when you explain something too much, it takes it robs the magic out of it. And not just magic, but there's like like the next or something. Hmm. That just living a thing is different than talking about a thing. Hmm. And somehow it, it just, you know, myth personifies stuff. It gives everything almost a soul. Interesting. And going back to Lewis real yeah. quick, who basically part of the reason he came to Christianity was Tolkien helped convince him that Christianity was a myth told true. That yeah. he, some of the things about Christianity he loved for the same reasons that he loved certain myths. Yeah. The kind of the grandeur, the big picture. And he pulls it. it out all kind of, like even in Voyage of Dawn Treader, you know, it goes through the storybook and, oh, it's a story. It's a true story. Mm-hmm. The true story of the, I don't forget how he puts it, but it's because it's like a rock being moved and, you know, it's like basically okay. a crucifixion story, uh-huh. but done like in, yeah. And then Until We Have Faces, it does it all the time. So, okay, so, we're rambling a little bit, but... Yeah, but anyway, I, I just thought it'd be nice to kind of bring it into that. Just all about to say that if you don't know, if you've never thought about uh, Christianity as a true myth, yeah. maybe put some thought into that. I completely concur. With that, I think it's time to go into our soundtrack. Given our topic today, I think it's worth noting here, Nick, that uh, my brother-in-law, Eric, has told me that whenever the soundtrack music starts, he pictures us being suddenly surrounded by a group of, like, you know, leprechauns or something with the, uh, you know... Oh, really? Flutes or something. Uh, this will be a very different sort of uh, leprechaun. Uh, this <laughs> or not there. leprechauns, but, like, you f- I don't know, you know, some sort like, of woodland creatures. Uh, uh, like tr- Troubadours. <laughs> with their flutes. Pan and, with his flute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, there's a little mental picture for you. <laughs> But uh, but we you got some very... hardcore uh, nymphs today. So here we go. <laughs> say your your soundtrack here is is of a, a completely different tune. Here. Yeah, it's remixed from God of War, which uh, you know, yeah, given mythology, it's called Wrath Industrial. It's from the uh, Heroes and Villains album, which was fabulous, and it's remixed by K Triton. Okay, um, that sounds very mythical. It does sound mythical. <laughs> um, and enjoy.
Welcome. That was those are some hardcore nymphs. Yeah, they, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> they were factory elves. Factory elves. Yeah. Uh, um, more like wouldn't that be more like dwarves then? Dwarves. Are there sure. dwarves in God of War? I don't even know. I, I don't think there's dwarves in Greek mythology at all. No, you're right. That's that's the Norse or elves even for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just big brutes. Just big, exactly. All right. Uh, anyway, we're ready to continue with our podcast now, and our next segment will be. A bit of story. I know we just uh, we just had this segment last time, but we decided, hey, we're uh, this is a very eloquent topic. And plus, it helps us to catch up we, since we apparently we hardly did this in 2016. Exactly. We need more bit of story, I guess. I guess so. That's and occasionally, I'll write some myth-ish, myth-ish stuff. Myth-ish. Um, the different levels. You know, Isle of Gold is probably my most mythic thing I ever writ- wrote, but mm-hmm. that's 20,000 words, so we're not reading it here. We Even can do installments. We can do one every... <laughs> that would be fun. I'd, I'd love to be uh, Fitzwilliam Fitzwallace. Yeah, we should do that. That'd be great. <laughs> Maybe you just record the whole thing. We'll just release it in a special like box set. Box, yeah. <laughs> weekly, not weekly hijack. Um, sidetrack. <laughs> no promises. Okay. <laughs> Bug Tim, and he won't do it. Um. <laughs> okay, but uh, instead we have one of your flash fictions here. Yes. What this, is this called? This is called Near Enough to Touch. So here we go.
After a day and a night, the wind died down and the whirling white of snow settled onto the frozen ground. Stephen stopped, caught off guard by the sudden change. He could not feel his limbs or his face. All night he had continued trudging forward, lifting his heavy feet because of his single goal. The strange calm dislodged even that from his head. The black sky was deep like the human eye, and the stars nestled in it were sharp like piercing glances. It seemed so near, he thought, he could reach up and touch the velvet blackness. He tried, standing on his tiptoes and reaching with stretched fingertips. Surely he was only inches away. He stood on a small plateau. He had climbed the slopes for many days, guided by that single unrelenting desire. It returned to him now, and looking around, he discovered a monument erected on the barren landscape. It was a statue of an old man. In one hand, it held a net, a shaft of which was formed of a silvery metal, the mesh of which was crafted from the fine threads of gold. Stephen stumbled forward and grabbed the shaft. The statue held it tight and would not release it. The wizened face, wrathful and wild, stared at him with unchanging eyes. After a long time pulling futilely at the shaft, Stephen stepped back. He was almost unable to think, consumed by his need to remove the net. But in time, he remembered the coin he had acquired by many journeys. He rummaged stiffly in his coat and brought it forth. The miser's might bore an ugly face and the inscription, Everything has a cost. He placed the coin in the statue's open palm. A crack like ice breaking resounded across the plateau, disappearing into the frozen silence. The coin had vanished. Trying the net, Stephen found it slid grudgingly from the old man's grip. Now Stephen studied the sky again, looking from star to star with a feverish intensity. Which was it? He had used his only coin. He had only a single chance. When he had first gazed upward, he had been certain of his choice, but now he studied each carefully, unsure of himself. Muttering a prayer, he raised the net and caught the star he had chosen, a diamond of soft yellow fire. He was afraid to remove it from the netting. His heart's desire lay within his grasp, if he had chosen correctly. He clutched the yellow star in his hand. The net vanished and returned to the old man's grasp. Stephen forced himself to open his fingers. Inside the diamond, he glimpsed her face. Elena, he cried. Warmth flooded his limbs. Her face filled with joy. She tried to speak, but he could not hear her. I told you I would not forget you. He kissed the diamond, imagining that he kissed her lips. One more task, one more, and we will be together forever. With all the tiny motions of her imprisoned body, she communicated her love, and Stephen knew he would not fail to release her. Aww. Dun, dun, dun. So, so it was, it's kind of fun for flash fictions. You're like, I can't tell a whole story, but I'll just put a, in the middle of some sort of cool adventure that I'll never write. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And those, uh, tasks, there's always a list, a list of tasks, apparently. Yeah. That, uh, that comes up in a lot of those myths, I think. Yeah. It's interesting that the, I don't know why, like I even did that with, um, the empty house. Do you remember that one? I don't know. It's it starts out with this lady going to his, her dead father's house and cleaning his stuff and whatever, and oh, then yeah. finds a journal. And then there's a story, mm-hmm. and like the girl in the story is like, "And I got the sand from the desert of forever, and the last page from the endless library." And uh-huh. you know, that was that one story that you were supposed to write realistic and wound yeah. up inco- incorporating fantasy into exactly. it. Exactly, that's how I do things. <laughs> so, anyways, I enjoyable little story, very fun. I have a thing with like. I just think school is like just grabbing a star. You know, twisting how things actually work. Mm-hmm. So, By the way, do you know what, uh, what it's called when Hercules accidentally steals something? I do not know. That is a mistake. <laughs> mistake. <Myth> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. We're not even in pun times, everyone. 
No, that's that's just a little bonus. There's that, a bonus for you all. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, because we have to be careful because pun times can be hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. <laughs> okay. No, we're not actually doing pun times. <laughs> I don't have the stamina for it tonight. I don't think probably. <laughs> nope. But, but instead, we are we premiere a new segment. Dun dun dun. And uh, this segment will be called previously on. This is something we thought about doing a while back, but we didn't have a name for it. So we thought it might be fun. We we've been doing this podcasting thing for a while. It's like what five six years? No uh, more six years. Well, this September will be seven. Okay. Because yep, we started right. in 2010. Yep. So, so we've done a lot of podcasts. 70, what are we six? Now? We're on 76 now, and we th- we thought every now and then we want to kind of retouch on something that we've talked about. But we before. don't want to do a whole new story school on it, but we're like previously on we talked about this. Yes. So so previously on episode nine, our story school was about reboots. Reboots, but we also kind of touched on like reimaginings, re you know, re. And you re-listened to this recently, right? Yes. Okay, was, I did not. It was not a bad, not a bad episode, I, I would say. But in light of <laughs> Disney's, Disney, um, just I mean, Disney in general, Disney in general, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the habit of rebooting things has not really gone away, or remaking things has not really gone away since 2011 when we first recorded the episode. Um, so, but six years later, it seems to have. There's parts of it that seems to have gotten. Worse. It's exploded even. Yeah. So Disney, if you don't know, um, once upon a time made original things. Um, <laughs> Which, I, to be fair, their animation department still does. Yes. And to be fair, their original things were based on fairy tales, myths and stories. Yeah. Yeah, true. But you got Beauty and the Beast came out recently. I did not have I, a chance to see I, it. I love that animated mo- movie. It, so the thing is, everyone loves the animated movie. And that's why they made the live action version. But why? <laughs> see, this, this is my rant. Okay. And my wife went to see Beauty and the Beast, and she liked it, but sometimes even she's just like, some of the scenes were like frame for frame, and I'm like, why? That's what she told me. She's like, uh-huh. you know, she's like almost like the new stuff better. Like, if you're going to reimagine things, if you have to, you know, we talked about Maleficent at some point, I think, on mm-hmm. this podcast. It was an interesting reimagining. Yeah, that's at least, yeah, that's at least a different story. Yeah, you're, you're telling... It's the same thing you did originally. You took the one story and then you you just put a different. That's what Disney's been doing forever. Sure, but now they occasionally do things like Jungle Book, which was I think largely the same. I have to confess, first off, I have not actually seen any of these. I'm not either. My, my wife saw Jungle Book. She thought it was a weird combination of like half the music from the thing, but also more serious and scary. Okay, and she thought it was kind of odd. See, I, I was kind of ambivalent for, toward these movies when they first started doing them. I was like, eh, okay, it'll be something they they try and then they'll kind of go with. Now that they have such a huge slate of them yeah. coming out, what was okay? Well, okay, so Entertainment Weekly in the what what issue is this? The March thirty first issue um, has a list of Disney things they're bringing to life. Mm-hmm. We have Mulan, okay, Lion King. Well, Why? That's that's. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing: it's like Beauty and Beast. It's already. A absurdly good movie and they've already made a absurdly good play off of it you don't need something else the play at least has the advantage of it you're seeing it perform live in front of you exactly and 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 the art on the costumes is amazing have you seen the play I have not. oh the play is the play is great so i mean there's there's still something new being kind of and done there's with new that. songs for it and in stuff. this case like it's gonna be animated because you can't actually have animals so why, doing these things it's already okay and then dumbo 
Tim Burton. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Aladdin. I can, I can imagine the pink elephant scene now. <laughs> I, I, I might go watch him for that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Aladdin. Why? That's a great... Yeah. Maybe they'll get the guy from Once Upon a Time to do it, since he hasn't actually been in the show much. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I don't know why I find that so funny. Like a little tired from all my traveling. Cruella. It's like the Maleficent movie, basically. Yeah, yeah but Cruella's not that interesting. She just... They already did two movies, live-action Dalmatian movies. Yeah, they did. Like... It's not even the best of Disney stuff. No, they really weren't. Um, and The Little Mermaid. Now, here's the thing. Give the benefit of the doubt. If you do new things with some of these and not do the Beauty of the Beast take, mm. it could be interesting. But well, well, here's it, a quote it, for this article. Well, and, and one of the weird, bizarre things while this was going on, up, up until Beauty and the Beast, a lot of these remakes were actually getting pretty good reviews. Overall, I mean, they weren't for everybody. Yeah, but like, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores, they're not too shabby. Well, well I thought this—I didn't read this article, but I just saw this when I was looking at the the list here um, from Sean Bailey, President of Walt Disney Studios Motion Picture Department. What Walt Disney did with all these anime classics was that he took these tales that he knew were timeless and reinvented them. So we thought, well, we can reapproach these stories with the very best talent and the very best technology available, and we can try to re- make them reflect the world around us a little more. That doesn't make any sense. If they're timeless, why do they need updating? Well, not only that, but just getting the best talent and the best technology, at least in this definition, has nothing to do with story. It's just like, let's redo it again because we can't. It's because of the money. Because they can. Yeah. yeah. It's it's easy. I guess there is probably some freedom to say, hey, this story's already been basically dealt with. We can change it and I can just work on the technical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a an appeal to that for certain directors. Yeah, I mean, one thing we talk about in the reboots thing is it is kind of nice sometimes that you can take basically jettison the bad stuff and just work. You have the good stuff already kind of set up to work with. And with some, again, like they did Pete's Dragon, which I thought, okay, not many people remember that movie yeah. that well. And it, you're doing like a traditional cartoon character with a, be a more realistic. Yeah. I can see that'd be, that'd be something different. But I- I think but. the problem is that Disney's the worst offender, but I read another article. There's like seven Robin Hood movies in production right now. Uh-huh. Here's the problem. Hollywood makes a bazillion dollars. And it just seems unfortunate that the creativity, the money and the energy is being put towards things that are not new. That there's not a, you know, there's not this, the premium's not on, let's try to tell a new sort of story. Again, not that news better, but yeah, because we've talked about before that like you can have similar ideas in the story, and as long as it's you know there's you have a new take on it in, in some way, that's that's totally but, fine. But these feel largely like well, people love these things, and we can redo it again and still sell it again. I, it just seems very yeah. At at, at some points. I'm pretty sure at some point there will be a backlash against this. The well, there's already kind of backlash from some people. You know, episode eight. Seven, seven. Yeah. A lot of people are like, Star Wars. Why, 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 Star Wars. why are we doing this again? Uh-huh. You know, suddenly people are starting to appreciate, a, well, they really didn't, but they should, that the prequels were, they were new. They were something different. I mean, yeah. George Lucas didn't say, oh, I'm just going to do it again. He's mm. like, I'm going to do something completely different. And who cares if everyone likes it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, and we like episode seven. Don't, don't get us yeah. wrong. But there's there's this ongoing trend that, I mean, it's almost a little cliche at this point to say that Hollywood has no creativity left. And I mean, on one hand, some of their actions, like we're just saying, 
yeah, they're not doing, they're not putting in nearly as much focus on some new things as they should. But at the same time, there's still enjoyable stuff. I'd say even like the mediocre stuff that happens now, a lot of it is still better than what we've seen Hollywood. You know what I think it is also, and I think this is as viewers and readers something we need to because we fuel this. Mm -hmm. It's the trust issue. I mean. Mm -hmm. When Beauty and Beast comes out again from Disney, we we trust that it's going to be what we want to see again. Yeah, or new at least movies, a lot of people did. New movies we don't trust. We want we want someone to tell us it's good before we'll watch it. Mm. There's certain things that well, I liked it the first time. I'll probably like it the second time. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of there's so much competition for story now because there's just stories everywhere mm-hmm. is that by putting a name on it that you know that's why people do it from books. That's why you don't get a lot of original things unless. That go off really well unless it's by you know Nolan can do it because yeah. he has a name that people they trust his name. The funny thing is when we were seeing more recently that when creators do try something that that is kind of outside of the norm, especially if if they like for example, and this will sound weird because they're both comic book adaptations, <laughs> um, but first Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. no one knew how that would go over because. It was weird. It was different. Yeah. It was, but it did really well. Yeah. Deadpool, which I'm not a fan of, but, but it was doing something new. It was doing something new. It was doing a okay. It was an R-rated violent uh, action movie, but it was also a superhero movie with you know a certain sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, it was different. It was, and, and I think people want that. They just don't know where to look for it. Yeah. I mean, Deadpool was probably a, a better, had a better built-in audience than, it, I mean, he was an insanely popular comic book character. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, no one cared. No, no one knew what the heck that was. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the the problem then becomes, we already sort of seeing people trying to copy the Guardians of the Galaxy formula. Suicide Squad was sort of trying to tie into that kind yeah. of were crazy. I think even, have you seen the, the trailer for the next Thor movie? I, I'm kind of excited now. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but it's such a deviation from what the previous Thor movies, which I guess some people think that it I, needed. I, I, I think it needed, at least from Thor 2. Thor 2, I think, was one of the weaker Marvel well, movies. Well, yeah, though. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm totally fine with them getting a, taking Thor away from Earth. I was had very mixed feelings, though, about copying, like, looking. I mean, it had the whole 80s vibe with the logos, and, like, it could be fun. I I just I was sad to see kind of the like the more mythic feeling Asgardian get destroyed and like oh we're gonna be like kind of crazy and '80s sci-fi cheese, <laughs> which I love '80s sci-fi cheese. Don't get me wrong, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be grudging. Jeff Goldblum, come on. Yeah, but I'm just I'm sad they couldn't make the more traditional Nordic or Nord North Nordic. Yeah, Nordic, Nordic, yeah, yeah. Um, mythology feel of work. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll yeah, we'll see how it happens. And I, and that may just be all marketing, honestly. And the movie may actually feel like it has a lot more of that. I guess. Well, we won't go into that. But I, I'm excited that they seem to keep trying different types of nuances of their style, like Ant Man. You know, Ant Man was just yeah different. It's it's different because if you're going to, if you're going to keep remaking comic book movies, at some point people are going to get sick of them unless you start making them comic book plus movies. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a comic book movie, but it's also... Which, which I think we were... I mean, Logan, it was reportedly kind of that, too. Yeah. I mean, that was... I heard it was actually pretty pretty heart-wrenching to watch. Yeah, very... Uh, I mean, I guess the graphic novel is sort of like that, too. But it, it, I think those are good examples of bringing something that don't have as big of an audience built in, honestly. Yeah. 
I mean, there is an audience there. So no, it's almost like in some ways the graphic novels are, and some of these things are like having a, a test audience. Mm-hmm. Like here's the smaller scale people who will like it. Let's see if we sort of expand I that mean, to a bigger I mean, scale. It basically, you're using the, 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 the graphic novels as source material. It like, it's like, mm-hmm. they're, like they're the myths that you're then doing your thing with. Right. Yeah. Which we didn't even really get to. You, you thought we might wind up getting into comic, comic books. We, as, yeah, we just sidetracked from it. So. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, modern day superheroes in some ways are kind of the American. Are the closest. To myths. Yeah. yeah in some ways. Um, but anyway. So the the whole remake thing, there you know, obviously again, some people are doing it right. If you if you look at some of what Marvel's doing, I think the biggest problem is this: is not the, when you look at them individually, you can you can explain, oh, that's a good idea, or they're trying this. It's the trend, the market trend, that's so disappointing. I yeah. think when this is all that we're getting in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why people, in some ways, some people like Rogue One better than Episode Seven. Some people just because mm-hmm. it was a new take on old things. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just it's the trend. But you can look at individual movies like, okay, I can see why they didn't bring be so, or I can see it. But and when you step back and you're just like, but is that all this the most powerful company on the planet can give us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not terribly uh, excited for this summer. There's not a whole lot coming out that I mean, unless and there may be something. I, I mean, mean, give me another John Carter. I know no one liked it, but <laughs> and you never know. There sometimes something comes out of nowhere and just surprises you. And I, I would love to be surprised that way. Yeah, I'm excited about Dunkirk. Dunkirk? Oh, that, really? That's a new Nolan movie. Have you seen the preview for oh, that? Thing? I forget that. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I haven't seen a preview for it. Was there a preview out? There's two of them, I think. Oh, wow, I totally missed well, it. After the prior I remember hearing that Christopher Nolan was doing something like that, which I thought, that sounds really different for him. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it, Which different. is cool. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. So, all right. So anyway, that's that's kind of our... Previously on. Previously on. And if uh, you want to check out and see if what we just said, uh, how it compares to what we previously said on six years ago yeah six years ago go check out episode nine it's uh back when recording quality was not quite as good <laughs> but uh, the discussion and the people were still cool yes even cooler right. mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm not sure how that works okay anyways <laughs> but that's that's our episode nick yes sounds good it's one for the history books or Myth. It goes down, down it's legendary. Legend becomes myth. Or wait, fact becomes myth. Myth becomes, oh, however that goes. No, he's got to do the intro for Wheel of Time, where one age... Have you ever read the intro of the Wheel of Time? I don't think okay, I Okay, we're going to do it real quick here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for Lord of the Rings. I think it's in the pr- the prologue of the f- of the first movie, Gladriel's thing. Oh, it might be. Story in myth. So you're talking about myth. See, and for many long time, the ring was long forgotten, or however that goes. Let's see, here we go. This is how all of them start. The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legends. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. They all start like that. Okay. I just like that because it has that whole idea that things are real, and they turn to legends and myths. And, and there's a lot of mythic... I mean, he's called Randall Thor. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of like, oh, these guys were myths, and now they're real again, and people misunderstood them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, we really are wrapping this up. Yeah, sorry. I, this is usually my problem. All right, Tim. First off, remember, if you uh, want to listen to all our episodes, they're available at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera. Eventually on Facebook. Eventually, yes. We're, we're, we keep talking about that. Yes. Well, you took off uh, yeah, to yeah. Brazil, so that's what I'm going to blame for it. Okay, sounds good. But to close this out here, I've got a soundtrack for you. This will be nice and calming after Nick's more hardcore 
So you have uh, actual nymphs in yours. I suppose. Or what's the... Um, whichever were the most promiscuous of the Greek... Uh, Probably. Regions, probably nymphs. Okay. I don't think the dryads were as much. Okay. The the reason I brought that up is the, the <laughs> remix is called Eros. Oh, there you go. So yes, you know, very, very sensual. It's from a NES game that I had never played before or heard of, really, called The Battle of Olympus. Oh, so I thought that was fitting. And the it is remixed by Freemind and Grey Lightning. Those are two different guys, not Freemind and Grey Lightning. Which is <laughs> one name. Which would be kind of a cool band name, but no. <laughs> but no, they're, they're two different remixers. But uh, yeah, it's very peaceful, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, when you get out here before they come back down that mountain, be just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I'm the, a little odd here. Yeah, the the wind picked up, and it got really dark. I think it's going to rain pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So I think we better get indoors at the very least. Okay. We're not doing our podcast. I don't know why we decided to podcast outside anyway. Because... It's, the house is kind of smell. Yeah, we'll it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, until next time, folks, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.